would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to begin, or begin, continue our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, we've uh, taken a couple of weeks off, uh, obviously, uh, with um, our, our family being on vacation a couple of weeks ago, and then last week was Churchy Church, and so we're going to jump right back in to the series of lessons that we've been going through on perfect unity. And so again, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tonight, we'll finish out this idea of having the same mind when it comes to morality as God's. Uh, there are some unbelievable uh, reasons people go to court. And I was reading today uh, sort of the, some, of, some of the strangest um, court cases that we've seen in the past couple of years. And a lot of them have to do with food, ironically. But uh, a man is currently suing Texas Pete. Are you familiar with Texas Pete, the, the hot sauce that's out there? Do you know it's not actually made in Texas? It's made in North Carolina. Uh, and so a person is actually suing Texas Pete. Uh, because the hot sauce that they make is not made in North or not made in Texas. Uh, Publix. Have you ever shopped at Publix? Uh, on their uh, shelves, you can buy a honey lemon cough drops. Well, apparently, there's no real lemon in these cough drops. Uh, just artificial flavors. And so, a person has brought up a lawsuit against them uh, as well. But uh, apparently, they're not going to win that case. Uh, even strangely, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Isley Brothers. I'm not really uh, familiar with them. This is a, a Motown uh, soul music from the 1950s, a group of brothers, the Isley Brothers, and they're in their 80s, okay? Uh, I believe only a couple of them are still alive right now. Well, they're suing each other, you know, flesh and blood, family brothers suing each other over their trademark name, the Isley Brothers, Right? Uh, actual brothers. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we're going to study tonight, Paul's going to begin addressing another problem that's going on in Corinth. Have you sort of seen the, uh, this uh, pattern uh, as we've been going through here? Another problem's coming up, and there's going to be some unbelievable court cases going on here at the church at Corinth. Now, it's not the matter of their court cases that's unbelievable, but it's the subjects of these court cases. Because Christians are going up against other Christians in these court cases. And Paul's going to say, listen, what's going on here? You know, why are we airing our dirty laundry to the world? You need to keep this stuff in-house. Instead, what you're doing is you're defrauding one another. And he's going to say, really, shame on you. Right? The idea here is perfect unity. We want perfect unity in the church. But you're going around and suing one another. And we're going to wrap up again this idea of having a mind of morality, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6. But uh, listen, when I'm studying 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think this is one of the most underrated chapters in all the Bible. Because of the, the conclusion that Paul's going to give here, uh, I believe, is one of the greatest problems that we have in the church. That we often forget whose we are. We, we forget that... You know, we don't have the right to do just anything we want to do. Right? You often hear people say in the world today, my body, my choice. You know, and obviously they're talking about the abortion uh, problem there. But as a Christian, do I have the right to do whatever I want with my body? And when we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 7 next week, you know, we're going to notice that you know, Paul, talking about the marriage relationship, says to the husband, listen, your body is not your own. Right? It belongs to your wife. And to the wife, he says the same thing. Your body is not your own. It belongs to your husband. We forget sometimes that our bodies belong to, to God. 
We forget as Christians that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within our bodies. And we'll get to those verses here in a moment. And we forget that our lives were bought with a price. And Paul's going to conclude this chapter by saying, Therefore, glorify God in your body. And so let's finish out this section here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and just kind of a segue into uh, to chapter 7 and beyond. You know, we're going to be switching from the unity, having the same unity in mind, to now looking at having the same unity in judgment. And again, he's going to talk about uh, judgment in married life, in single life, in Christian liberties, in spiritual gifts, and in judgment and giving. And it's almost as if Paul has his own Q&A section going on from chapter 7 to the end. Because he's going to begin each of those sections there that I have up here on the board, now concerning this, right? Now considered, now concerning married life, now concerning single life. And it's just, it's sort of almost again as he has his own Q&A section. And again, we'll, we'll notice that next week. But as here, as we finish out uh, these chapters here, the unity in mind, having the same mind and morality, let's just kind of review what we learned a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, we read those passages, uh, again, those 13 verses last time, but just a way of review, remember there was that man in Corinth, that Christian uh, who was in Corinth, who we're told had his, his father's wife. And this was such, a, but that wasn't the only problem uh, because Paul also gets on the church there because they're boastful of this, right? They're, they're proud of this. They weren't mourning over the sin that was going on there in Corinth. And Paul even said, listen, the, the Gentiles, they even wouldn't do this. I mean, this is so disgraceful. And Paul told them to remove that man from their midst. You know, remember he, he gives the analogy of leaven, right? A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough, and he says, cut that leaven out so that it doesn't affect, permeate throughout the rest of that lump. And we talked at great length about the idea of, of church uh, discipline or, or disfellowship, right? The forgotten command that, that we don't often practice because, uh, you know, we, we look at that and we think, well, maybe that, that's a, 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 the wrong thing to do. Uh, maybe that's looking... Uh, you know, that, that, that's something mean. You know, well, why would we do that? Well, Paul says in that chapter, in chapter f- uh, 5, verse 5, the reason why we do that is not to hurt the individual, but it's to save their soul in the day of the Lord Jesus. Right? The idea is for them to realize that they're lost. Uh, they no longer have that fellowship with their brothers and sisters. They, they no longer have that fellowship with God. And we recall also, you know, Paul had to clarify something in that letter as well because uh, it was almost as if they thought they didn't need to associate with anyone anymore. Remember Paul said, it's not the immoral people of the world that I'm telling you to stay away from because he said, for then you'd have, to, you'd have to go out of the world, right? Where, where would you get your groceries if you were only to go to, a, you know, a Christian grocery store? Or where would you go to the doctor if you were only to see a Christian doctor? But Paul says, that's not what I was talking about at all, because you still need to interact with them. You still need to be a light to the world, right? Be in the world, but not of the world. But he said, don't even associate with a brother if he's an immoral man, right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14, he says sort of the same thing. He says, uh, we, we don't associate with him so that we put him to shame. And the idea there, the word shame there, is to turn his thoughts inward, Again, understanding, why do I no longer have this fellowship with my brethren? And hopefully that gets them to thinking that, you know, maybe that, that sin that's in his life, ought to, he ought to walk away from that. But again, Paul tells us there in that last chapter, but don't regard him as an enemy. 
but regard him, admonish him as a brother, right? Or continue to love him, admonish him as a brother. And again, I challenge you to, to read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, maybe uh, when you go home, because you're going to notice that that man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 repents. And Paul tells the church, re- receive him back, right? He's repented of those, uh, those errors. And so receive him back. But now let's jump into chapter 6. Because this is where we left off. So chapter 6, starting in verse 1, Paul writes this. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life... So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren, but brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers? Paul is writing here to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, listen, shame on you, the church. Shame on you. Right? The, the practice that you're doing here, it's, it's audacious. You know, uh, He says there again in verse 1, neighbor going against neighbor. Now, of course, he's talking about Christians, right? Christians going to court with one another. And he even says there in verse 1, uh, how would you even dare to do this? Do you dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? You know, we might say, how could you stoop to that level? How could you take your brother in Christ to court? Is, is, are you that bold? Are you that daring to take a matter of disagreement or division between brethren, right, before the unrighteous and not before the saints? That, that damages the Lord's church. Uh, that damages the Lord's church in the community. This practice, he also says, was ignorant. Do you notice there in verses 2 and 3, he says a couple of times, do you not know? When we go away from the scriptures, when we, again, when we, you know, slide away from the scriptures, ignorant of the scriptures, we end up violating the will of God. This practice was a relinquishing of duty, he says. See, God has a definite system in place when things like this happen. You know, we've talked at length about Matthew chapter 18, when your brother has a problem with you, right? Go to him in private. Speak to him about those things. If he doesn't listen, right, bring a couple of witnesses. If he still doesn't listen to them, bring it before the church. You know, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, if our brother is overtaken in a fault, right, he he who is a spiritual, go to him, right? God has these plans in place. If we offend our brother, you know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, drop what you're doing, you know, and go and be reconciled to him. And again, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if we have a seemingly irreconcilable difference with our brethren, right, go to him. The plan is not to use these earthly court systems of those who are outside of the church, but to solicit, he says there in verse 5, a wise man from among you. Again, keep this in-house, he says, because this practice is damaging, Again, this is the precious bride of Christ. And you've got these brethren going up against each other in the court of law. They're going before Gentiles, the, uh, the non-churched, uh, the, those who aren't Christians. And they're, daring, they're, they're airing out the dirty laundry between them. And Paul says, listen, listen, <laughs> we can take care of this. Right? Now, listen, this isn't about uh, covering up abuses or crimes. 
right? Uh, you know, we, we've seen in the religious world how those things have got out of hand, right? How, uh, even in, our, in the Lord's church, where sometimes that's gotten out of hand. This, this isn't what Paul's, Paul's not talking about covering up abuses. He's not talking about covering up crimes. He's talking about personal grievances between one another right? that we have with one another. And if we're going to act like the world, right, Paul is saying here, if we're going to act like the world in these circumstances, we offer the world absolutely nothing, when it comes to, comes to this, because that's what they already do, right? That's what they believe in. You know, that, that's their motto. I'll see you in court, right? Paul says, don't do that. The world is hopelessly divided already, right? They should be looking to the church for a higher standard. And God is honored. He's honored when, when brethren come together and they sit down and they work through these problems with one another. Listen to how Paul continues, starting in verse 7. Actually, then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. First, he talks about shame on you, Corinthians. And now, really, he's talking about those, those disputants, right? Those who are going to court. He says, even if you even think about going to court with your brother, you have already lost. And when I was reading through this section all week, it, you know, it just screamed to me, Jesus. Right? This is Jesus. This is what Jesus taught, wasn't it? You remember the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5? If anyone sues you and he wants to take, to take your shirt, Jesus said, give him your coat also. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 40. You know, just give it up. Right? Just give it to him. Don't, don't let this bitter divide widen between your brethren. Upon the cross, Jesus suffered wrong for nothing he did. Jesus did no wrong. He, he didn't defraud anyone. He's our perfect example of suffering. But Paul says, you, Corinthians, you would rather wrong you would rather defraud than be defrauded. And then he says there in verses 9 through 11, I know these are passages that we're so familiar with, but he says there, listen, you can't live an immoral life. You can't go around suing uh, your brethren and defrauding one another and expect to go to heaven. He says, such were some of you, right? They used to practice these sins. You know, you know, maybe he's talking about the swindlers there, but you notice who he lumps in with the swindlers, right? The drunkards, the adulterers, the effeminate, the homosexual. He, he lists all of those in that group. But then he says, but you were washed. Well, what's he talking about there? Baptism. Right? They, they, they had their sins washed away, but they were sanctified. There's that word sanctification again. They were, they were set apart for God's purpose. They're now God's people. And now they're also justified, right? Their sins were forgiven. You know, that word justification, I know it's a big word, and sometimes uh, we, it's a little scary to, to uh, you know, remember what it means. But, you know, a preacher has always, you know, kind of laid it out this way. You know, justification, just as I have never sinned, 
right? An easy way to remember what that means. And we notice in this, in this passages that the washing came first, right? You were washed, you were baptized, and now you're sanctified. God has sanctified you. He has justified you. And through Jesus, their lives were changed, right? Such were some of you. And the guilt of their immoral sins was removed. And now they're in a right relationship with God. No sinful pleasure can compete with the peace that God offers. The morality between brethren. Let's go to the next section. Morality and the Christian. Verses 12 through 20. Let's take this a couple at a time. Uh, Starting in verse 12, Paul continues, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. You know, Paul in this section is talking about the physical body is for the Lord. You know, like I said, this is one of those things that uh, we constantly need to be reminded of. That, that, that I am not my own, right? The, as Paul says here, the flesh has cravings, right? And we can satisfy those cravings we know improperly. Uh, addictions to food and to alcohol and to uh, tobacco and drugs, right? Uh, nothing, Paul says, nothing should be able to master us, right? We should have nothing, uh, nothing we should be addicted to. But you notice there in these passages, the, the central issue of the context he's talking about is sexual immorality. The body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. Food is for the stomach, stomach is for the food, just as our bodies are for the Lord, and the Lord is for our bodies. And he points there some of those potential positives about our bodies there in verse 13. Again, they are for the Lord, and they're for the resurrection. Notice what he says here in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the member, members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. So he just got done telling us that the physical body is for the Lord, and now he's telling us that the physical body is a member of Christ. Our bodies are members of Christ. Remember in Ephesians chapter 1 how Paul says that Jesus is the head of the church and that the church is his body? Well, each body of a Christian makes up the church. And so, therefore, God has expectations as how we spend our lives in these bodies that make up his church. And you notice as he he gives this example here, he says, if we join with a prostitute, we become one with them. But he says, no, listen, rather, join yourself to the Lord. Don't do anything that would jeopardize your unity with the Lord. No matter how enticing it is, it's not worth it, Paul writes. Flee from immorality, he says. Uh, That reminds us of Joseph in in the book of Genesis, doesn't it? When Potiphar's wife, flee immorality. He commands us to flee from it. 
See, listen, God has a wonderful place for this appetite to be fulfilled. And again, we'll read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in the marriage union. And that's what he's going to encourage as we read next week. But Paul here, he's not saying that sexual immorality is greater than any other sin. But the damage that it does has far-reaching consequences, right? You steal something and you're simply sinning against your body, you know, Paul says here. But, but if you commit adultery, you sin, you help the other person commit sin, families are destroyed, churches are destroyed. Again, here in, in verse 18, again, notice he says, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And notice here in verses 19 and 20, here's how he concludes this, this chapter. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, and therefore glorify God in your body. Again, the physical body is for the Lord. The physical body is a member of Christ. And now he says the physical body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when we studied 1 Corinthians chapter 3 a while ago, one of those analogies of the church he mentions was the church is, is like, like a temple, right? a holy temple? Uh, again, uh, the church is like a holy temple. The Holy Spirit dwells within the church, but now he says the Holy Spirit dwells within the Christian. You know, that should be one of the most powerful deterrents that you and I have against sin is the knowledge that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. I know when we talk about the Holy Spirit, a lot of times we want to get into a debate, especially in the church. Right? There are those who, who see the Holy Spirit the, that works you know, only through the Word, and then there are those who take maybe a more opposite direction and say, well, the Holy Spirit indwells the Christian. And again, that's a sermon for, uh, for another day, but uh, when you read these verses, you know, Paul explicitly says here in verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. He, he explicitly says your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit who is in you. When one becomes a Christian, we truly declare, I am mine no more. I am mine no more. What I am now is God's house. The Holy Spirit dwells within me, giving myself entirely now for his use and glory and what privileges come with that great responsibility? Again, I have, bought, I have been bought with a price, and I cannot forget that. Again, as Christians, we often forget that, don't we? Uh, that we have been bought with a price, that we are not our own. Jesus' blood bought the church, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. The blood, the blood of an unblemished lamb without spot, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. And God's morality... God's morality, as we close out this, the, the end of these chapters, demands that we keep our bodies pure as possible from all contaminating influences. Again, the physical body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Again, next week we'll, we'll jump into chapter 7, where, where we start to talk about married life. But uh, I wanted to leave you with this quote from, from this author by the name of Edward Everett Hale. He wrote this. He said, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, 
I ought to do. And what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I shall do. In the context of this church unity here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is letting us know that I am responsible for how I handle my life, how I handle my body. By living a selfless life here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I represent my brethren as I should. I'm not taking them to court over every little thing. I'm being a brother to them. By living a moral life, I represent the church as I should. And by living a sexually pure life, as Paul puts it, I represent God as I should. We're going to sing an invitation song here in a moment. Uh, I am mine no more. And that's really what this, the end of this chapter is saying here. I am mine no more. I have been bought with blood. And remember, as Paul said in this chapter, such were some of you. And maybe this evening someone's here and you're living in a moral life. You're living outside of God's law, outside of God's church. And Paul says, listen, such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified. You turned your life around. And maybe tonight you want to do that. And maybe you want to change your life for the better, to to follow Jesus, to give your life to him, to become a Christian. Or maybe you're here this evening and maybe you are a Christian, but maybe you're struggling. Uh, Maybe you need the the strength that this church can provide in, in prayer and in help and good deeds. And we would love the opportunity as well to help you with that as well. If we can help you in any way this evening, whether it is to put Christ on in baptism, become a Christian, or to pray for you and help you in any way, please let us know as we uh, come together and stand and sing this song of invitation.